We're going to be coming to the Lord's table in just a little bit. And um, there's two things that I, I, I'm hoping that we can prepare our heart with. And the two things are this. One, the truth of what is happening, or what we are remembering, if you will. And two, the immensity of it, the significance of it. And... You'll notice nothing is going to come up on a nothing is going to come up on a uh, on a screen this morning. That's intentional. That's to force us to go to these little memory cards that are here. And uh, I would like to ask you in a particular way with this card. Don't just throw it away with the bulletin. I'm asking each of us. Take the card. Have it somewhere in our home. If we only went home with one bulletin or grab another bulletin, um, write it down on a 3 by 5 card. If you, there's four of you who are going to need it and you don't each have your own copy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In just a little bit, we're going to be coming to Easter, just a few weeks from now. And uh, it would be wonderful if every day you were to simply read this, reflect upon its truth and it, the immensity of its significance. The verse which many of us have heard very, very repeatedly throughout our years For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I've selected it specifically because we're moving towards the Lord's table and because we're entering into the month in which we are going to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I thought this is a good stepping off point now. You can consider this particular verse, wouldn't you think, kind of like a synopsis, a simple, profound statement of the gospel, of what it is we believe, of, if you understand this, you understand, if I can use the word, the heart, the core, the essence of the gospel itself. This is what God is doing for us in Jesus Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We just need to think about that a little bit before we come to the table. And I was so delighted to see uh, a song that was selected for our worship time that that, that touched on this and uh, paraphrased this or virtually quoted it. Consider, consider this statement. For he made him. He made him. What I find there is... It draws me to a reference to two, other, to two other scriptures which are relating to the same thing. As we are going to come to this time of Easter and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the things we need to hold confidently 
is that Christ, having been put on the cross, was something that God had planned. It was not a surprise. It wasn't, it wasn't a, hey, we're heading in this direction. It got derailed by the forces of evil. But that God had planned it. So we read in Acts chapter 2 where Peter is preaching the first message of the church that has just been born on the day of Pentecost. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. And he calls them to their eyewitness experience of what Jesus Christ had done in his ministry for three years and what was known known about him and what they had actually seen. He calls them to, uh, to their own testimony to that. And then he says, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. Him delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. No accident, no surprise, no derailment to a better plan that God had. This was the plan that God had for Jesus Christ. Second Timothy chapter 1. Therefore, verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, as, of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Now catch this, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. That is magnificent in its, in its statement. It, it's so deep in what it is saying. We think of the Bible, the Bible begins with what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's kind of where we, we pick up the account. But what acts and what Timothy are telling us is, hey, where that story began, that's when time started. And that's when we got a sense of the, the history of earth and this redemptive work. But this was in God's mind, in his plan, in his foreknowledge, before he ever spoke the world into existence. It wasn't something that he speaks the world into existence. We're in the garden. Everything's good. Uh, their sin comes into the picture. Oh, what are we going to do now? Well, let me just see. Think about that, friends. Before the world was created, this plan was already in place. That a day would come when Jesus Christ would hang on that cross for us. Think about that. This is, it is that aspect that strikes me of the, of the immensity of what it is that we experience here and what it is we're doing. 
If you'll allow me, um, last Sunday I went to each of the churches where my, uh, my, both my son and my daughter attend. And, and my son's church, I was excited to go there because it's a new church. Yeah, I haven't been to this church with him before. Young, a young pastor there, I would assume he's in his 30s. Well, I tell you what, he did a magnificent job speaking on Isaiah 53. Absolutely a magnificent job. I was so excited to see that this is the church my son is presently attending because there was solid biblical teaching that was happening there. And one of the things he pointed out, and I thought of it as we, as we um, sang the song this morning about God's love for us, but one of the things he pointed out, he says a lot of our perspective in this day and age is how God loves us, and the gospel is how God loves us, and that is absolutely true. He said, but we must not forget that the gospel and Christ's death, and he was speaking from Isaiah 53 on this one, he said, it's also a statement of how much God hates sin. How much God detests sin and will not allow it to be present in, with him and in his redemptive plan. Great contrast that he set up there, and I really appreciated what he had to say. And then it led to the Lord's table. And I, I don't mean this to be critical. I'm telling you this is my experience. And they did it kind of like us, but a little different. It's similar to what I saw happen in a, a church my, my daughter used to attend, where the Lord's table is offered every, every week, and it came in these prepackaged little containers where there's both the cup and the, and the wafer all in the same container, and you pop the top off, and you all take it, and boom. And I'll tell you what, it's really efficient. In that kind of setting, you can get the Lord's table taken care of in a matter of a couple minutes. You've got enough people to distribute it. Boy, we get that done, like now. This time, similar to that, but they used cups just like we have, but they put a little wafer in the bottom of one cup, poured juice, put that, the cup with juice in it on top of the wafer, so when you pulled, you pulled both at the same time. So again, it's pretty efficient. And this guy spoke so well on Isaiah 53. But I felt like when we got to the place of reflection now, We'll get this taken care of quick. And so I come back from that with a desire that for us we would take at least a moment and think about the immensity of what it is we're doing. Because when it's something we have done literally hundreds of times in our life, it can become very perfunctory, can't it? Very much been here, done that, know the, know the routine, know what Gary's going to say, and then we're going to all eat together, then we're going to drink together, and then we'll be out of here and good. And our minds can go anywhere, anywhere at all, while we do this. But think of this. For he made him. God had a plan. Before the world was spoken into existence, knowing that we're going to be fallen, God had a plan to redeem us through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 3, when we're first being told about that plan, aren't we? Where, it is going, where we get the theme of this, the curse on the serpent is that, that um, he will strike the seed of the woman's heel. And that is ultimately what took place at the cross. But the seed of the woman will strike his head and crush his head, and he's, the serpent's going to be taken out of the way. My point is, very beginning, Genesis 3, we're still in the garden. 
And we already have this, this introduction that there's going to be one who will come and will redeem us. And you guys are very much aware of Abraham and Isaac and going up the mountain and Isaac carrying the altar upon which he believes, or Abraham believes he's going to sacrifice his own son. And the picture in that of Christ carrying his cross up Golgotha, you can't miss it. But then there's a, rather than that son dying, there is to introduce into this theme, which is right here in this verse here now, this theme of substitution, this theme of there's a lamb that now takes the place and is altered. But that lamb's, that lamb was caught in the thicket, in the thorns by its head. And again, the vision of the lamb who had the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Christ, would actually wear a crown of thorns. We're familiar with that. We are familiar with Moses and the Passover, where they take the blood of the lamb and they put it on the door so that when the death angel comes by and judgment moves across Egypt, that angel will pass over every home that has by faith entered through blood into the promise of God. And it passes over them. And the firstborn is not harmed in those. We've... We've seen these, but what I'd like us to think about this morning, friends, because I want us to be a, more alive to us, perhaps, and moving into this season of Easter. Whereas we're familiar with those, to understand that it didn't start with those. God had it planned before the world ever came into existence. And all of those things were going to unfold by his foreknowledge. And they were all going to give us a a picture, a type, an illustration of what Christ would do. Isaiah 53, some six centuries beforehand, describing his death. Psalm 22. All of these things anticipating. So here's my point, friends. And see if I'm I'm trying to, I, I hope you'll go with me on it. This is not just, oh, yeah, we got we to gotta do that today. Oh, yeah, I walked in and I saw the trays. We got to do that today. Okay. Think about what is here. This is, you and I are, are, are proclaiming and sharing in a plan that literally existed in the, in the foreknowledge of God before this earth ever existed, before the heavens existed, before the stars existed. God ordained a redemptive plan. And that is what we proclaim, right? That's what we will say. You do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So think of it in terms of the immensity of what it is that is happening. To this day, today there are people coming to faith in Jesus Christ who are being brought in through this redemptive plan of God around the world. I don't know who, I don't, I don't know who perhaps uh, Nathan has spoken to today or his, his sister Kayla, brother-in-law Josh, there in the Far East. I don't know who they spoke to today that perhaps God drew them today into the body of Christ. We have some people going to be going shortly to uh, work with uh, Eric and Christy McCauley in Vienna. Who knows today 
Who in Vienna has been drawn in to the body of Christ? Some women are recently in India. Who knows today through those ministries that are there who was brought into the body of Christ today? This is still, this eternal plan is still being worked out. And maybe today someone right here for the first time, a light will go on and they will say, I need this. And they will be drawn in. Do you see? Can you look with fresh eyes? This is not just something we do. This declares something that God, in a way in which God is working since before time even existed. It was in his plan to do this. It was in his plan. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. We saw that in Hebrews, didn't we? Tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. This plan that God had that we recognize today of this one who came and the only way that he was going to wind up living that sinless life is what? Because he came through the virgin birth, right? And he is completely God and completely man. Where, where do you find in any literature, where do you find in any religion, where do you find in any man-made thing anything like this? But because he came as fully God and fully man, he was able to live the sinless life in perfect obedience to his Father. So that at the end of his life, he was one who knew no sin. And yet, what does it say? For he made him who knew no sin, never experienced sin, never walked in rebellion to the Father, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. And on that cross, there he was treated as if our sins were his. And he bore that penalty on our behalf. He bore that death. He bore the full judgment of God on sin. There on the cross, in, you know, for us, ours, ours. This is no little thing we do. Oh, yeah, this is the day. It's about a little cup and a little wafer. And, yeah, we'll get on with our lives. We need to reflect on what it is we, we declare with these elements and what it is God has done for us. Who he, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we, here's the outcome that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And, and the theologians at this point give us all sorts of interesting words to go with this. Words like imputation and substitution. And they're the right words. The, I, the concept of imputation is to place something to someone's account. So the sins that you and I today already have committed and that will later today that we will commit. And don't tell me you haven't and don't bother to tell me you won't. Because you're like me. And in your flesh and in my flesh, we're just constantly churning out the sin thing. 
But the guilt of those sins, the understanding of those sins, the penalty of those sins, God sees them being in Christ, and then Christ dies and bears the penalty for them. That's imputation. Substitution is he died in our place. He became the sacrifice, that, the, the death that we deserved. Think about that. Think about that. And, 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 and we're, we're declaring something from before the foundations of the earth. I know I keep saying that because I want us to grasp the immensity of what it is we're talking about. This is not perfunctory. This is not, hey, here's a, here's a cup and here's a wafer and let's get this done so we can get out of here. This is worthy of our reflection as to what Christ has done for us. So he who knew no sin became sin, was, was laden with the guilt of our sin, the identity of our sin, that we, that's what happened to him, that we might become, notice what happens to us, the righteousness of God. And the righteousness that is his, because he lived the sinless life, because he always was in obedience to the Father, because he never broke the commandments of God in any fashion, as we read in the catechismal uh, reading this morning. That perfect righteousness required to be in fellowship with God, that perfect righteousness is now imputed, placed to our account. And you'll notice the righteousness of God in Him. It's always in Him, friends. There is no righteousness of God that we will ever own that is not by being in Christ. Because we have none of our own to bring to this picture. We need it from Him, and that's why it's in Him. As God sees us bearing His righteousness, because He sees us as in Him. You want to do an interesting, just, you know, cursory reading of your New Testament. Look at the epistles of Paul and Peter and John, and notice how many times that word in. In Him, in Christ, are there. And you'll go, oh, it really is about being in is this not just a magnificent thing that is happening? See, the truth is imputation, substitution. Christ died, bore the penalty of my sin. That is true. I gain his righteousness. That's what this is saying. That's magnificent truth. And it took the perfect sinless person of Jesus Christ to be able to bear that sin on my behalf and yours. How wonderful is that? That's the truth of it. The immensity of it is. The idea was in God's mind before the world ever existed. And it is still bearing effect today and will continue to bear effect until the end of this human history as we presently know it until Christ comes. The summation of times wraps all things up and brings together in one all those who are in Christ. This is an incredible thing we remember. So I'm just asking last time. Let's not be perfunctory. 
in understanding what's going on. To the best of our abilities, as we consider this, this one verse, let's, let's be in present, uh, present with God and asking him to drive the understanding home, asking him to enlarge our understanding so we recognize the immensity, as well as it's a great time to acknowledge that, you know, there are some things, Lord, we, uh, some places in our life we have yet to give you presence in or have been in a place in the last week or two where I'm not real happy about, and I know you're not happy, but it's a great time of confession, friends. And that's why I think partly I, I don't like when it's perfunctory. I don't like when it's hurried. It gives no time for personal reflection about where really am I at right now? If it took the sinless Son of God a plan from before eternity in order to make me right with God and deal with the question of sin in my life, how am I doing with that? Do I understand how serious the sin issue is and and am I allowing God to have room to transform me by His Spirit? I'm begging you guys, please. It's just as simple to be perfunctory and throw this out with a bulletin. I'm asking you this week, hang on to this card. Put it at a place where you'll see it, where your family will see it. Put it at a place where you're going to read it every day. I would love for you to read it every day during the month of April. This card, read it once a day. Because this is the heart of the gospel. In one simple sentence. So as we come to the table, we are coming to something which is, which is deep in its truth and immense in its significance. As such, we don't come lightly. We don't come like, yeah, 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 it's just something that we do. Nope, nope. And here's what I, 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 I say this as I can. I say it gently. But you want me to speak truth from up here, don't you? The elements which will proclaim the death of Christ till he comes, is this act that we're going to do is we're going to take this immense, beautiful truth, we're going to live it out in a simple way, but that truth is only real to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who are in That only happens by faith. It only happens by recognizing we need, because I am a sinner, like everyone else in this room, I need, you need, we need this eternal plan before time that God has put in place that would come to a point where Christ hung on a cross so that literally millennia later we can hear this message and the Spirit of God could speak to us and say, this pertains to you. He bore your sins there also. He became sin for you. Where we are pressed with that and have to say either, yes, Lord, I really do need this. Or, eh, no thanks. Not right now. If to this point you have not yet said, yes, Lord, I need what Christ has done through, through this magnificent, immense plan then I beg of you, let the elements pass. 
And as I've said, this is a time for reflection. So believers who you have entered into that relationship reflect upon God's love. Reflect upon the immensity. Reflect upon where you're at right now and, and what that sin is that you're holding on to that, that's just not going to do any good for you. And why you're holding on and how to speak it to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I need you to work with me on this one. I, I'm not cutting it here. That's for believers. But as I've asked so often before, if you haven't come to that place where you recognize, yes, I have proclaimed my need for Christ. I have sought him by faith. I am in him. I always like to offer this. Ask yourself why. What is really preventing me from entering into a vital relationship through the most magnificent, redemptive plan far beyond anything man could have thought of? To enter into this, this redemptive plan that, that was put in place in the mind of God before time ever existed. Which if you were to compare to anything else we're going to do today. When you start realizing this. I mean, I, I hope you have a good day or whatever it is you go on to from here. You understand anything you do today, anything you do tomorrow, the rest of this week, the rest of the, all the way into April, into the month. You realize anything else that you engage in is, is small potatoes compared to your connecting with this eternal, redemptive plan of God. Why would you pass it up? You know why. You know why you're rejecting it at this point? If you are, I ask you to do some work with God on that and come to the place today where you say, Lord Jesus, it's time to quit fighting you. You have a magnificent and immense and wonderful plan to bring me back into fellowship with the Father, and I have been ignoring that. And I didn't think I needed it, and I've pushed you away, but today is the day that I'm asking you to come into my life to be that Savior that I need. And then you too can be a part of that which is most magnificent, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, I was thinking about this one thing. We're going to remember the Lord's table. And it would be within a matter of hours, Jesus would be out in the garden and he'd He'd call his few disciples to come into proximity, uh, closer proximity with him than the others, and to be in prayer with him. And you know what they did? Fell asleep. They'd find him. Can't you stay awake with me right now for a little bit? They'd fall back asleep. It's late, man. <laughs> you think they could possibly have fallen asleep if they truly understood the immensity of what was immediately before them, as Jesus was right over there sweating great drops of blood because he knew he was going to fulfill this. Do you think they could possibly have fallen asleep had they truly understood that? I think they'd have been up praying in fear and trembling, knowing what was about to unfold. My desire, as they didn't get it, and there seems to be a sense of disappointment when Jesus asks, couldn't you have prayed with me an hour? My desire is that nobody leaves here 
where the Spirit of God has called to us and said, come to me in faith. You need Christ. That we don't just go, yeah, I don't think so right now. And he feels that same sense of, this is of such eternal import and they treated it so lightly. May this be indeed a significant time as we take time to enter in to these elements.